customer experience is your brand. All about the interaction that a customers customer are not just customers that can the be kind of experience you give to people. Customers. That's what they're going. Amazon through. wants you to buy something. A warranty company wants their contractors. Customer to experience, you know, it really is how your brand gets projected out in, into the world. Business is not just business; it's very human. Welcome back, ladies and gents. This is your host, Todd Stewart, for another episode of In The Know, a dispatch-powered podcast dedicated to highlighting the individuals and companies who know how to create memorable, long-lasting customer experiences. In this episode, we're sitting down with Nick Francis, the CEO and co-founder of HelpScout, a help desk software with over 8,000 customers across 140 countries, including Grubhub, CrossFit, Buffer, and AngelList. In this episode, we're learning how HelpScout decided to have a remote culture and how that improved their customer experience, how that increased their customer retention, and what metrics were affected by having a remote culture. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I found it very interesting, and most of all, I found it actionable for how important culture is in the world of customer experience. So as always, grab a pen, grab some paper, and please enjoy this really interesting conversation with the one and only Nick Francis. Okay, so welcome back to another episode of In The Know. How's everybody doing? We are here on site at Help Scout, downtown Boston. I am here with Nick Francis, the CEO. Nick, how you doing? Fantastic, good to be with you. Good, good, thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. So, you know, I, 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 I look around and, and this is gonna be the basis of our discussion today, but uh, it, it's, it's sort of your atypical office. When, right when I walk in, um, there's not a lot of people here, but there's a reason for this. It's because a lot of people are remote and that's a decision that you've made um, and, and it's worked out and we're gonna sort of tie the decision of having remote employees with customer experience and how they've both really helped your company grow. So I, I think let's let's actually take a step back real quick. I, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and tell me what is Help Scout like? What are you guys solving? So we built Help Scout to uh, solve customer support for small businesses all around the world. So customer support is, is usually a small business's greatest marketing uh, tool, and we try to make it so that it's personalized, uh, it's invisible to the customer really great experience uh but also really simple for people to use so we've got about eight thousand customers and small businesses around the world using the product and pretty excited about it and and how many people are here in boston and how many people are remote so right now i think we have seven or eight people in boston and we have another roughly 55 uh, in 40 different cities around the world Awesome. And even yeah, in the next couple of months, I think we'll be down to four people in Boston. So it's actually shrinking. <laughs> how, how has that been? That well, well, when was that decision made? Like when was that transition? Pretty much our first hire. Really? So I've worked with my co-founders for thirteen years now, and we've worked in well before Help Scout. We've worked in offices that are remote. We've worked together in the same place but always found that we were able to, to do our best work no matter where we were. And that was, a, that, was, that was a workflow we were really comfortable with. And so when it came to hiring the first people at Help Scout, I looked at the Boston kind of startup ecosystem and it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible community, but at the same time, it's extremely competitive for top tier engineering talent and design talent and marketing talent. So 
I just thought about what would put Help Scout in the best position to be successful. And it didn't feel like recruiting in a 20 mile radius of Boston would make a lot of sense if we wanted the best possible people that would give us the greatest chance at being successful as a company. So I said, you know, there are some trade offs that you need to make if you're building a remote culture. But if I can manage those in a really excellent way, then I should be able to put myself in a much better position by having the, the entire planet as my recruiting grounds rather than just the city of Boston. And so we thought about that. It's a pretty easy decision. And so pretty much from day one, we wanted to build a remote company. I love that. I I, I do want to reiterate that that fact of like the 20 mile radius comment. I, I think that's phenomenal. And it's it's so simple, but it's something that I think a lot of people are afraid to actually jump into. Like they, they say that and they say, yeah, like definitely we could get such great talent if we open it up to the global community. Uh, but but taking that step is tough. How did you guys take that first step? I think we just got a sense of what that talent was like outside of the the radius. I mean, we we love to hire people that live and work in Boston. There's there's no uh, discrimination going on in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, we want to hire the best possible people. That because in the end, we're here to talk about customer experience, and the customer experience can only be as great as the people behind the scenes that are creating that experience. And so that's really important to me to get it right and to, to, to do the best I can uh, to, to make the business one that really cares deeply about the customer. And that means hiring the best people all around. So uh, from, from the very beginning, it was just something that we wanted to make a priority because it's, it's, in the end, it's about creating great products and, and a business and a culture that people uh, feel that they kind of are aligned with. And so that's the way we wanted to go about it. So that, that's actually, a, a, I think, a perfect transition into the customer experience side of everything. How have you seen uh, having the remote culture, how have you seen it sort of help and boost your customer experience? It all kind of starts with the way that we hire. And one nice thing about remote culture in particular is, you know, we have people in, like I said, 40 cities all around the world. And so you're bound to get a diverse group of people and perspectives and backgrounds and worldviews and cultures. And that's been tremendously beneficial. It's really given our team a sense of perspective that not many companies have the luxury of experiencing. And I'd like to think that our diversity as a team has really contributed to our ability to create a great customer experience across the board for our customers, whether it's through the content that we create or the product that we build I'd like to think that we're mindful of our friends over in Europe because we actually have a bunch of people in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, same, same goes for all sorts of other places around the world. And, and hopefully our customers uh, do feel that and sense that. I, I could even see that on, on the line of um, there's when it comes to like intercultural communication. So like you guys are global and mm -hmm. not only are employees global, but also customers are global too. And, and people from different areas of the world, they like to be communicated to differently like if you go to Hofstede's cultural dimensions there's there's a handful of cultural dimensions that like people are high on uncertainty low on uh, you know on avoidance and having that type of employee set can allow for for those things to happen like companies to be able to have successful customer communication 
Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because we've actually written a multicultural style guide for just doing support. Oh, interesting. So how to do support and be mindful of all these other cultures and, and different kind of backgrounds that, that you're going to be speaking with. And so we've we've I don't remember if, if it's public or not. If not, we should make it public. But it's it's just a, a way that we can can be mindful of uh, somebody's geography and, and the kind of uh, culture they may be coming from and try to, to speak with them in a way that they'll they'll understand and uh, and resonate with. So. so and you guys are in that unique position to be able to, to do that. Right. Because yeah. we've got people that can kind of help us establish those guidelines. If you could say in like, you know, a, a sentence or two, what is the value, the, the main, main value of having a remote remote culture? And then I'm actually going to follow that up with a flip side or okay. sort of like the downside of that. Yeah. So the main value from my standpoint is be having access to the best possible people. You know, like I love to build stuff. I love to make stuff. That's why I do this. And being able to hire people that I truly think are so much better than I am at, at the craft and, and they're, they're equally as passionate as I am about making great stuff. That's what it's all about. Like I, I get to work around people that challenge me on a very deep level on a, every day. And that's really important to me. That, that's really important to me coming into work every day and giving my best. So to build a 60 plus person company where that is the bar, everybody uh, really challenges everybody else. Mm-hmm and is, is deeply passionate about the work, that's an exciting place to work if, if you're really good at what you do. And that's the exact kind of environment I wanted to create. And what, and what are some like roadblocks that, that companies, if they're listening, they're saying, oh, remote culture, that does sound something we might be interested. What are some things that maybe you've learned throughout this process? Yeah, so the flip side of what I just said is that we actually can't have interns. We can't really hire people kind of out of school and take the time to mentor them and bring them up. Mm-hmm. We hire people that are very experienced in their craft and very, they know what they want in terms of their career mm-hmm. and what they want to do. And so we hire people that are already kind of there and they, they just want to, they're just passionate about the work and they want to do it. So uh, we can't, there are, there are, large groups of people that we just that don't fit very well in the help scout culture and largely it's tougher to make that junior folks and kind of interns and and those sort of people uh, fit within a remote culture it's just very difficult Mm -hmm. so uh, we've sort of eliminated that from our our hiring practice Mm -hmm. and by doing so again we we get to surround people with uh, others that are going to challenge them on a daily basis. But the flip side of that is, is not being able to kind of mentor folks, which, which is unfortunate. Uh, On the customer experience side, how do you guys approach measuring it? So there are quantitative and qualitative measures that go into it. I mean, NPS is something that we talk a lot about. We, we measure internally as well. Customer feedback scores that that we sort of uh, created in Help Scout are are things that we we pay very close attention to. But my user my my background is user user experience, and so I'm always I always tend to lead towards the qualitative side of it, mm-hmm. and just empathizing with the customer and trying to understand what their experience is like and how we can improve it. So the measures are usually pretty balanced between the the quantitative side and the qualitative side. Do you have an, uh, like an example of that? 
let's see. I mean, it just depends on the experience that I'm trying to create. But if it's a product experience, uh, it, we we lean very heavily on qualitative mm-hmm. uh, side of things because you can say this is you know this is the impact I think that a product is going to have on the customer experience, but that's just a hypothesis. You know, that's that's a way to measure success down the line. But in the end creating a great experience means a lot of qualitative inputs talking to customers interviewing customers going through the usability testing process continuing to tweak until it feels like a really great experience for the customer and it's Mm -hmm. accomplishing what we want to accomplish as a business that entire process just the whole user experience creation process is a qualitative one on our side of things we don't really use any spreadsheets until something's shipped and we want to know how it did mm-hmm. uh, we really focus more on on talking to people and understanding kind of where they're at and how we can be helpful the the more companies that i speak with and i, I we talk about customer experience and, and how it, it perpetuates itself within the own organization. Um, what are you guys doing to help like share that knowledge? Well, just internally, not, not externally, but, but share the knowledge of what the customers are saying, what you're learning so that the organization itself can move together. So one big value as a remote company that you have to really invest in is being extraordinarily transparent so uh, the what i like to say is that everybody in the office needs to have the same access to information that everyone outside the office has or vice versa Mm -hmm. so that means a lot of kind of asynchronous communication written communication about different areas of the business and that's how we keep everybody in the loop so we'll do we'll do town halls but we also uh are are updating the business constantly on how how we're doing, what kind of customers we're working with. In addition, we've developed personas, and I know personas sometimes get a bad rap that, as a marketing thing, but we use personas across the board when we develop products. I, I like personas. I, yeah, I don't I, give them a bad rap. I think rap. they're really great. Yeah. Sometimes they get a bad rap just because they're done wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but if you do them the right way, yeah. then it really helps everybody in the organization understand who our customers are how they think about customer support and and how we can build a great product for them to meet their needs. And for us, we only have three personas. So it's really easy to kind of distill something relatively complex down to three types of people that we're focused on working with and making sure that they can understand and empathize with, with those three personas. And, and then we kind of just revolve all of our communications around those personas. And it's very helpful. How long did it take for you to get to that point where you had the three? So we started with four, maybe five years ago, and quickly distilled them down to three because it, it's hard to focus on even three groups. And uh, those they have remained pretty much the same for the last three or four years, but uh, continue to evolve. Just there's little pieces, and we're actually evolving them right now, just kind of making some tweaks based on things that we've learned or, or ways in which the business has evolved. So I have a, a, a myth question for you. Um, I, I'd love to know, and I, I, I usually don't ask this to people, but, but during our pre-call and after researching more about the company, I feel like this would be a, a perfect question for you. 
What are some like customer experience mindsets that a lot of people have that you think are better suited as a myth? That you can measure the customer experience in a spreadsheet. Mm. Okay, <laughs> nice, nice. What do you uh, mean by that? I think of customer experience as 80% emotional, 20% sort of the, everything else, the, 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 the functional side, the logistical side. And creating that emotional connection is what gives you a great experience. I mean, uh, I just got back in town. I had rented a car at the, in the city I was in. And I had, for all intents and purposes, like a great experience. But there was nothing that emotionally connected me to that company. So sure, it was fine, but am I a, a brand? Do, do I just feel aligned and connected to that brand in a deep way that that says my experience was unbelievable? No, it was a very uh, just kind of functional relationship, right? So a great customer experience in my mind is so much more than than just getting the details right. It's actually creating a connection and a sense of shared values between yourself, the business, and the customer. And that kind of stuff can't be measured in a spreadsheet. When you're doing your roadmap planning, it's really difficult to account for those sorts of magic moments that you create with a customer that, that builds that shared value set. Mm -hmm. And without those shared values, you can't create the emotional connection. So there's all these warm, fuzzy things just sort of happening behind the scenes that I think make up the majority of a customer's experience. Yep. And uh, people that try to look at it in any sort of quantitative way uh, are going to have challenges. There's, it's absolutely an input. There are several great inputs for measuring the customer experience, but in the end, I think a lot of it's emotional. How do you do that in a digital world? You know, because because a lot of that seems like a you know human to human interaction. It's mm -hmm. it's when if you were renting your car, it's the amazing experience that you had signing up, like right. <laughs> signing your life away for the car and then right. and getting the car and then returning it and just having it be so simple, but just a, a great, great personal emotional yep. experience. How, how do you do that in a digital world? In a digital world, world it's actually easier to measure. So in the, in the outside world, it's actually impossible to measure some of the customer experience things that, that or some of the the investments you have to make as a business in marketing, you have no idea if they work or not. They always said that a certain percentage of marketing works and you just don't know which you know 50% uh, works. But in digital, you can actually measure a lot more. I mean, you, you, know, you can even measure sentiment based on the words that people write, right? There's all sorts of AI getting into, into, the, the, uh, into what people are doing. But in the end, measuring emotion is, is challenging. But uh, digital actually makes it a lot easier to, to take those quantitative inputs and, uh, and reconcile them with kind of the emotional things that you're trying to create, those, those moments you're trying to create with folks. What are some specific roadblocks that you think companies face? And maybe you guys have faced this or maybe you've heard of other companies facing this thing when they're trying to improve their overall experience. Like I, I for example, I've, spoken with companies, I'd say a majority of them really put customer experience top, if not top, like three on their list within the past like three years. And that seems kind of wild to me. It's like, where, how come that hasn't always been there? Uh, and, and they're having difficulties getting it started. Like, what do you think some of those roadblocks are? Sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes it's, it's just uh, being in an organization that, that truly values the experience and building that emotional connection because 
if I'm totally honest, you can't be a revenue-driven business and also be a customer-driven business. Mm -hmm. On some level, you have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. You know, every not a week goes by when we as a business at Help Scott have to make that sort of choice. Do we want to optimize for revenue or do we want to optimize for a great experience? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that we choose the great experience almost every time. Yeah. But those sorts of decisions come about. And it, so some of it's cultural in terms of how a business uh, goes about making those decisions and what values kind of go into that. But also, I think that sometimes you can run into roadblocks uh, with, with in trying to create a great customer experience just because a lot of people talk about listening to customers and being data-driven about listening to customers and, and using customer feedback to make your product better. I tend to call out the lean startup movement for this sort of thinking. And, and the lean startup movement is one that says, oh, I can take customer experience and I can put it in a spreadsheet and basically I get all the inputs right, then I can create a great customer experience. It's like a science experiment. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that way of going about things because sometimes customers know what's wrong with something. They know what challenges they're having in their day-to-day work life, but they may not understand the scope of the solution that you need to create. And they're not going to tell you the solution you need to create. They're only going to tell you what they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not listening carefully enough, then you're bound to just build things that customers ask for and not the things that they that will actually solve their day-to-day challenges. How, how do you sift through that, the, the signals versus the noise? I call it just being able to finish their sentences, you know, talk to enough people so that you can finish their sentences. And what I mean by that is that you're not just taking one person's point of view on something and applying that to building your product, but you're taking a hundred different points of view and then you find a few common threads mm-hmm. through which, wow, Everybody seems to have challenges with this one thing. Mm-hmm. What could I do to try to solve that thing? And I actually stop listening when they start talking about the solution. I'm only interested in the pain. Mm-hmm. I, I say it all the time, but you have to fall in love with the pain. It's kind of weird. But if you fall in love with customer pain and just try to kind of live it, empathize with, with the pain that they're having, then you can build a really great product. Can, can you give me an example of when you had to make a decision between going on the customer experience side versus the revenue side? Yeah, we've made a bunch of mistakes along those lines. So one really challenging one is pricing, mm-hmm. right? So we've changed our prices a number of times over the years, and we've always grandfathered our customers. But in the last year, we've looked at ourselves and said, hey, we've created a lot of value with this product. It gets better literally every day. At some point, would it make sense to ask our customers to move to a current plan? Uh, And for the longest time, I even said in writing, many of our customers have reminded me of this, I've said in writing that we'll grandfather you forever Mm -hmm. because that was the commitment we made. But once I start to look at the business fundamentals and realize wow, we may not be able to build the sustainable business that we want to build. We may not be able to invest what we're investing in building 
a great product and being a great pro a great partner to these people unless we go about bringing them up to speed on pricing mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. so a lot of people you know were upset that i that eventually we just had to say hey we have to we have to change the price we'll give you six months mm -hmm. and uh, bring you up to the current pricing so that's a really tough decision where a lot of companies are pretty insensitive about it mm -hmm. and they just say, yep, new price. This is the way it is. Sometimes they don't even give you any notice. That company did that to me recently. There no notice. It just changed. And I was like, right. So we, and they, they might just hide it from you and hope you don't notice on the bill. Yep. I mean, we went through an unbelievable amount of work, like hundreds of hours in order to be really thoughtful about this process and communicate it in a clear way and give people plenty of notice. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it was you could you could say it was a revenue-driven decision. We had to make that revenue-driven decision because if we don't make some revenue-driven decisions, then maybe we can't be the partner that we want to be to our customers in the end. Mm -hmm. So they're closely tied. But but I always felt like that was that was a tough revenue decision that we had to make. And uh, I'm just not going to say that we're grandfather people forever. That's the one mistake. What what's a uh, customer experience decision? So I think when you're when you're building features and you're building different pieces of your product, there's always a question of how deep to go because you can check the box on the marketing website by going an inch deep, but to really create that great experience and something that's going to create a lot of value for a customer, typically you have to go a few feet deep, yeah. right? With a feature. And so that's a constant battle for us. Do we just want to check the box? Or do we want to go really deep and add incredible value for our customer that we feel is going to be the beginnings of that emotional connection, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, I could name off 15 different features, but one that comes to mind is search. Search is something that people use constantly in Help Scout. They spend all day using, this, using Help Scout uh, to help customers. Mm -hmm. And search is something that we made an extraordinary investment in for about eight months in order to get it right and make it so that it was super powerful. We, we talked to a lot of customers, got a sense of what the experience needed to be like, and we went really deep on that. And then in the end, we get no marketing value by saying we have search, nothing. You know, like everybody has search, but the fact that we were able to go really deep on it is a decision sort of uh, grounded in, in creating a great customer experience. And for people who are listening that think that search is something that's simple, it's not. <laughs> I, I've been with companies that we just checked the box and, and we just had a little bit of search. It wasn't like too powerful. It, you really had to get like exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see the complexities of having something like that when it's really not like a sexy thing to throw on the marketing side. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Google's one of the world's most valuable companies. When you're good at search, you can be good at a lot of things. Um, so a couple final questions. Um, what resources do you use to help improve Help Scout's customer experience? I think it's just talking a lot about our values as a company, right? Because if we have shared values and shared motivations and the kind of company that we want to build, then the customer experience sort of takes care of itself, right? Like I don't have to babysit every single decision that's being made if I know that the people making those decisions are well aware of and sort of grounded in the shared values that we have as a company. So we talk a lot about company values. And I know that I know that a lot of companies talk about values and it's it it's really uh, sort of 
a little bit cliche and uh, sort of fuzzy, but at the same time, when you really try to live them and you talk and you use them contextually to carry on discussions throughout the company, mm -hmm. then it does make a really big difference. One of our values is excellence, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you can easily call somebody out for saying, look, this, it's just not good enough. Yeah, I don't know what else to tell you, but it's not good enough. And by being able to speak in that way, not being mean or anything, but, but talking about our values in that way, holding people to a certain standard, that's really enabled us to, to create the kind of experience that, that I would want if I were a customer. And uh, hopefully our customers sense that on the other side. So tell me something that's, that's true about customer experience that very few people agree with you on. So something that very few people agree with me on is that I'm not a big believer in product management. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although you could say that I'm a bit of a product manager. Um, at Help Scout, we try, to we try to organize teams so that basically all the product managers are designers. And the we're a design-led company, and I, would, I say that all the time. And the reason design is at the center of everything that we do is because when we get that initial feedback from the customer, or we talk to the customer, we fall in love with the pain like I was talking about. That's usually a designer that's, that's doing that work, that's empathizing with that customer in that moment. Mm -hmm. And we want that person to be capable of carrying that pain with them through every aspect of the development process so that they know the finished product solves the pain because it's like a game of telephone otherwise. Yep. You've got these people talking to customers. You've got these people doing the specs. You've got these people working on development of the product. You've got these people doing QA and the beta. And you've got these people uh, actually shipping it to the customer. And then the customer in the end is like, oh, that's not really what I had in mind. Well, if you have design, a designer responsible for the experience and at each iteration, you have somebody that's signing off and saying, yep, that's what the customer needs. Yep, that's what the customer needs. Yep, that's what the customer needs. Yep. Then you're you're much less likely to end up shipping something that customers don't want. So true, so true. Is that your UX background, U, U, yes. UI UX? Yeah, so everybody, they, I basically just say everybody that, that uh, uh, builds something at Help Scout, like it needs to be run by a designer. Yep. And it's, it's a clear bias, and a lot of product managers call me out and say I'm an idiot. And I get that. But at the same time, I just uh, we, we don't have a need for them here. At least the product manager is also doing a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. Product management's important. A lot of people uh, think that I don't think product management's important. It's super important, but I also think you should be uh, a designer, and you should be involved in other aspects of the product as well. Well, a, a lot of people... and. That's why I've been so thrilled to to talk to you and, and hear your story. But everybody that I speak with, so many people speak so highly of Help Scout. Like I, I've I actually just had a conversation with, with somebody and I was looking for a solution. And the first thing they said was just get Help Scout for this. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, yeah, duh. Like was, <laughs> that makes total sense. But really, like I, I'm I'm so thrilled to like see the the future um this was such an insightful conversation thanks thanks for coming on the show today i really appreciate it awesome thank you todd
If you want to learn more about customer experience, head over to the Dispatch blog, that is blog.dispatch.me. Remember to subscribe to In The Know on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, thanks for joining, and we'll see you next episode.